Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God and trust and pray that you're getting some help from these Bible lessons here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program each week. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop. This is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church from right here in Danville, Kentucky. This week, we'd like to call your attention to Luke chapter 15. As always, we invite the listening audience to get the Bible open and follow along with us that you might read the Word of God for yourself. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to pick it up in verse 11, a very familiar passage of Scripture that we're going to look at maybe from a bit of a different angle today. It's the great parable that Jesus Christ gave in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And do we not all know a prodigal Christian or a family with a prodigal child or maybe you have a child in the far country. And this passage will give us some instruction, some things that we need to lay hold of to help keep our thinking clear. Christians often quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And they'll agree to that. But the next part, they seem to forget. The way to trust in the Lord is to lean not to your own understanding. And uh, that's the hardest part. Many people think that their understanding, how they feel, how they think, what they've been taught is on par with the Word of God. And that's where you make a grave mistake. We walk by faith. And therefore, we take the Word of God and its instructions for us seriously enough to veto our own opinions and our own feelings and go with God and what God said. That's how important the Word of God is to you as a Christian. So let's look at some things we can learn from the story and the parable of the prodigal son told by our Lord Jesus Christ here in Luke chapter 15. Let's begin reading together in verse 11. The word of God says, and he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him." <clears throat> And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And so the story ends well, but boy, the story, how it begins and where the boy ends up in the far country is a heartbreaker. And how many people, this story is so uh, emotionally charged with truth because so many of us have experienced it or know someone who have, has experienced a similar situation. It just touches everybody in that real intimate nerve in their heart. Everybody can sympathize and understand uh, this story. But let's talk about this prodigal today and let's learn some things. You know, I want to know a question. My question is, I want to know this. Why is the prodigal, why is he in the far country? How did he get there? You know, a great way for the Bible to speak to you 
is for you to ask it questions. Because when you talk to the Bible, you know what's amazing about it? It's a living book. This book is alive. This is the Word of God. This is like no other book that you've ever held in your hands. And when you talk to this book, friend, it talks back to you. Ask the text questions. So my first question is, how did this boy get in the condition he is in in verses 13 through 16? He has left his father and his family at home. He has left uh, without, uh, their con- without considering their feelings. He has spent everything he has. He is broke. He has no friends. He is hungry. He is homeless. And he is so low. He has hit the low point in his life. That according to verse 16, he would fain have filled his belly. That means he would have happily filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. How did he get there? Why was he there? Well, let me first give you the answer that uh, we need to get. Here's why he wasn't there. And number one, let me say he was not there because he had a bad daddy. There is no indication in our text that his father was anything but good to him. His father had laid up an inheritance for him. His father had foresight. His father was a worker because you don't have an inheritance and you don't keep up a farm if you're not a worker. His daddy was obviously blessed of the Lord because uh, in the Old Testament times, people didn't prosper financially unless they walked with God in the nation of Israel. In fact, some of the great promises of the law, if a man uh, tried to obey the law and kept the precepts and the commandments of God, Many of the blessings were uh, financial and physical blessings. God had blessed his dad. His dad had foresight. His dad was a good dad. You know, we've got a thing going on today, especially among fundamental Baptists, where you notice parents walk around with their head hung low because they have a prodigal child or maybe two children that are not living for God and that are off doing things that the church knows and God knows is sinful. And the parents carry this burden around and this unnecessary guilt in their conscience as though they were at fault. And some books and some preachers make parents feel like, well, if your kid goes wrong, it's because you did something wrong in raising them. I got one word for that. Baloney. Now, I believe the Bible. And it says and commands me as a dad. And it commands you as a dad. Are you all listening out there that are fathers? It commands us to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. But listen, that verse says there, that promise says when he's old. You realize when your children get old, you might not even be living to see the results of the influence and the training you gave them. The bottom line is this. You can, you should pray with your children. You should have a family altar. You should live your Christianity in front of your children. Listen, more is caught than taught, as they say. You should have boundaries for your children. You should teach them the Bible. You should have them in church. But my friend, you can do those things with a good heart and still see your children choose the way of the flesh or the way of the world when they get old enough. Here's what I'm saying. All of our children have their own will, and one day they will exercise their own will on what they're going to do. They're either going to choose to serve God or they're going to choose to serve themselves. And their going to the far country may have nothing to do or maybe no reflection at all on the parents. There's no indication that this daddy raised his son the wrong way. Can I remind you all of something? That Adam and Eve raised a Cain and an Abel. Now, I'll take a minute, let that sink in. 
They raised Cain and Abel. Cain was a murderer. His heart was full of envy against his brother. Abel was a blessing, amen, and brought God's required uh, sacrifice. He brought blood, while Cain brought the fruit of the ground and the work of his own hands. And when he saw that his offering was rejected and God accepted Abel's, he got extremely envious and his wicked heart caused him to commit murder. Listen, they had one son that was a saved uh, young man that obeyed God and they had another son that obeyed the devil that was a murderer. All I'm saying is I know preachers who have sons or daughters that have gone to places. I, I know a pastor friend of mine who, uh, whose son went to prison and you know something? He's got another son that's living for God. What's the difference? Well, I'm really very hesitant and I just don't believe it is proper to point to the, the uh, child's raising that the parent somehow or another must have done something wrong. That's the mentality that is sometimes promoted from the pulpit and from uh, Christian books. Well, the parents did something wrong and that's why the child is off in the far country. And can I tell you something that the rebels that we have around us that leave the church and that break their mother and father's heart know that that mentality is being promoted and they often play on it. How many times has a teenager left our church? How many times has a teenager gone to the far country and broke their parents' heart? And when you talk to them, you know what they do? They blame somebody and play the victim card. They say, well, my dad, his rules. Well, you know, the church was just so legalistic. Well, the church did this and the church did that. You know how they, why they talk that way? Because it's a lot easier to justify yourself and to blame somebody else rather than take responsibility for your own choices. Amen and amen, brother Alltop. That's good preaching, even if I am doing it. Hey, I tell you why he wasn't in the far country. It wasn't because of his father. It wasn't because of bad parenting. Say, why was he there? He was there because he was a rebel. And you say, what was he a rebel against? He was a rebel against his dad? Well, yes, but he was a rebel against an authority that was above his dad. This boy, this prodigal, is a lawbreaker. Sin is the transgression of the law. And listen, here's this boy's problem. Let's look in the text. Let's let the Bible teach us. Let's not lean to our own understanding, but rather let's trust the word of God. This boy tells his father, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And so he gave him his inheritance early. First of all, this prodigal broke the fifth commandment in the law of God. Do you know what the fifth commandment is? Why, it's, it's the, the first commandment that comes with promise. It says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. So the first thing we notice is he is not afraid to break the fifth commandment in the law of God that commands him to honor his father and mother. You say, how did he dishonor his parents? Well, because he said, Dad, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me now. Now, you know when the boy was supposed to get his inheritance? He was supposed to get his inheritance after his father had died. But instead, he selfishly and arrogantly demands his inheritance now. Because he is basically saying, in essence, Dad, I don't care whether you live or die. And you know what? The, I'd rather not wait till you're dead. Just give me the money now. As far as the dad was concerned, he was saying, I don't care whether you live or die. I just want what I got coming to me. And I don't even want to wait till you're gone. Total disrespect for his parents. And you know something? As we get closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the book of Isaiah chapter 3 prophesies that the, the babes shall behave themselves 
proudly against the ancient. And friend, have you ever seen a time when young people are more disrespectful to adults and authority? And I'm telling you, in God's sight, that's sin and it's wicked. And I tell you, it starts at home. He rejected the authority that God put into his life. And that authority was his mom and his dad. So he broke the fifth commandment. Then we see him breaking the first commandment. You say, what's the first commandment of the law? Well, the Bible says, thou shall have no other gods before me. So God says, I am the, I am the Lord thy God. He says, and you're not to have another God instead of me. Now, a lot of people get a little confused right here, and they think that, yeah, that's right. Now, if you have the God of Buddha or Muhammad, you know that's a false God. Well, they are false gods, that's true, but that's just one example of a false God. Do you know in America what most people have as a false God? Same thing that this prodigal had. They have themselves. They have set themselves up as their own idol. They idolize themselves, their preferences, their desires, their convenience, their comfort, It is self that they idolize and worship. The God that this boy is serving is self. And you know, Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says there are people whose, quote, God is their belly and whose glory is their shame who mind earthly things. Their God is their belly, little g. Well, what's their belly? That's their desires. Some people, people's God is their their food, what they eat. Some people's God is uh, uh, lust and pornography. That's what controls them. Uh, there's all kinds of things we could talk about. But the bottom line is it all comes back to the root problem of self. That Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. Now listen, and have turned everyone to his own way. There's the individual. He wants his own way. There's the individual rebel. There's the sinner. There is the boy that says, give me. He's worshiping himself. And the Bible says that idolatry and covetousness go hand in hand. He had broken the 10th commandment, thou shall not covet. And covetous, he wanted that money. And covetousness, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 5, is as idolatry. Why is covetousness as idolatry? Because you bow to your own lusts and desires. And therefore you love yourself. You are your own God. And brother, Brother, that is what goes on in America. This prodigal is the classic rebel. He is eat up with himself, his comfort, his desires, his lusts. He could care less about his dad, what people think. And so you know why this boy, the question is, was asked, how did he get in this awful situation? How did he get to the far country? He got to the far country uh, because of these sins, but ultimately he went there because he was a rebel and a lawbreaker. He loved himself. It wasn't because he had a bad dad. And listen, this boy is no victim. He's not to be sympathized with. You know, we've got a bad habit that I've noticed in preachers of our era. I don't know if any of you other pastors and preachers that might be listening today have noticed this. But I've noticed that preachers will talk and they'll say, Oh, I just want to minister because there's so many uh, broken people. Lord, They're just broken and, and they're just hurting And they begin to sympathize with sinners. Now listen, don't misunderstand me, but listen, we want to go based off the reference point of the Word of God. I can sympathize with the condition that sinners are in. And I have a desire, compassion to see them repent and come to Jesus Christ to be saved. I have a desire to see backslidden Christians repent 
and get their fellowship back with their heavenly father. And I sympathize in the sense of it's, they don't understand what they're heading for at the judgment. But listen, I cannot sympathize with people and sympathize with their hurting, quote, brokenness. Because remember something, they chose their own path. And they chose to rebel against God and to ignore the law of God. And now they're facing the consequences. And listen, sinners who are unsaved are, if you will, they're on the run from God. They're lawbreakers and they're running from God. They knew what they were doing when they did it. And therefore, be very careful not to sympathize with these people as though they're, they're uh, victims. People begin to talk about drug abuse as though it's a health issue. It is not a health issue. They may have health issues because of their drug addiction, but you would think that uh, drugs took people rather than people taking drugs. The truth of the matter is a drug addict is an addict not because he has a health issue or because he has some kind of a, a, a problem in his, a disease in his blood that makes him addicted to it. No, his body is addicted because he injected himself with those drugs because he loved how it made him feel. And now he can't function because he has to obey the God called flesh. Remember, his God is his belly. And that's just like the prodigal. They're not to be sympathized with. They're not to be uh, looked upon as victims. No, they did this to themselves. And you know what's amazing? I'll talk to Christian people who will be having struggles in their lives. And they'll come to see the preacher and they'll say things like this. They'll be talking and they'll say, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to do this. I don't know why God <clears throat> would do this to me. You see, that is a mentality that America has put off on the church. As though, uh, you know, it's God's fault when things are falling apart in our life. The truth of the matter is, most of the time, I will not say all of the time, but a large majority of the time, the problems that people are dealing with are simply, listen, simply the consequences of their former actions. They sent the ships out, and now the ships are coming back into port, and they've got a lot of things to unload. That's why the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You're simply reaping what you've sown. Somebody says, but I got saved. How come I'm still reaping? Hey, that Bible says to Christians, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But it does not say there is therefore now no consequences to them which are in Christ Jesus. No, my friend, you've got some crops to reap and you've got some ships to unload. And the best thing to do is bow the knee at the throne and say, God, help me to unload these ships and never send out and never sow a crop like I did years ago. Help me to get through this. And he'll provide the help. God is faithful. But my friend, be careful. And don't blame God for the consequences that your choices brought upon you. A wise preacher told me one time, he said, you are free to choose and make your choices and decisions. But friend, you are not free to choose the consequences of your choices. And my friend, you cannot 
You cannot imagine the long-term effects of a sinful, bad decision that you make. It'll affect you for all your life. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying you better make better choices, Bible-based choices. This prodigal is not to be sympathized with. He's not a victim. He, is not a, he doesn't have a disease. He doesn't need medication. He didn't have, amen, some kind of a trauma in his childhood that took him to the far country. We've got to stop this. We've got to stop giving people an excuse to live sorry lives. This boy's in the far country because of, simply because of the choices he made. He is down eating with the swine. He's broke. He has no friends. He's homeless. He's at the rock bottom. Why? Because he walked away from the blessings of God and he chose to follow the God called flesh. His, his, his God is his belly. And he followed his lusts and his desires and he rejected the counsel of God. He rejected his father's instructions and his choices brought him to a bad place. So listen to me. This is the lesson the Bible gives us about this boy. He's not to be sympathized with. He's not a victim. He is there because of his choices and he is facing the consequences of his God-rejecting, Bible-denying choices. So number two, what's the next question? What does he need now that he's down in the far country? Well, first, let me tell you what he doesn't need. He doesn't need help from home. Now, this is where moms and grandmothers need to listen closely. Because if there's one thing I know, I've seen it for years. I've been a pastor for over 12 years, just getting out of the gate good, just getting started good. But I sat under a good pastor for over five years in training and I've been around churches for years, and I've been around couples. I've been around husbands and wives, men and women. And men and women will argue over this thing. They'll say there'll be a mother that'll have a son that's in the far country. The dad says, we're not going to help him. The mother says, but we have to. The dad is looking at the help as being an enablement, and he's right for viewing it that way. The mother is looking at her poor son, and her heart breaks. And she feels like, I've got to show him I love him, so I'll send him a love offering of $300, $500. I'll get him a hotel. I'll send him a meal. Listen, this boy, had he received a $100 offering, you know what he would have done? He would not have repented when he did, and he'd have stayed in the far country just a little bit longer. Why? Because misguided love enables men to live life at the bottom. This boy needed to come to the end of himself. That's why in verse 17, I have it underlined in my Bible. Now listen, let me just stop and say something here. I know this is not easy truth. I didn't say it was easy, but it's true. And the truth shall make you free. And it says right here in verse 17, it's the turning point in the story. It says, when he came to himself. So there's a point where he gets so low that he has to look up. He was broke. He was alone and hungry. He needed to come to himself so that repentance could do her perfect work in, her, in his heart. And you know what people need? They don't need to see a shrink. They don't need medication. And surely to God, they don't need a love offering. It would have only extended his time in the far country, living at life at the bottom in squalor. 
And I'm going to say this. I'll give a word of testimony right here. As a pastor, all of the times that we have helped people financially, whether it be paying a bill, paying a light bill, paying a mortgage payment, helping them with food, not one time have I ever seen somebody get right with God because of that or get saved because of that. People show up. They call on Mondays to churches. Y'all help people? My answer has become, if, I, if they catch me here at the office on Monday, I say, we help people all day yesterday. You say, you're being arrogant and a jerk. No, I'm trying to get them to see they really don't want any real help, the kind of help they need, which is spiritual. That'll get them on their feet so that they could uh, benefit uh, in the physical realm. They just want somebody to come, and they know Christians have a big heart and compassion for sinners. They just want somebody to come and help them live their sorry life for another week. Give me some groceries. I'm about out of money. I need some Doritos and some more uh, Marlboro cigarettes and beer. Amen and amen. A lot of times, help only hurts the person. Now, we don't have time to get into all of the details about this, but I'll tell you what happened. When the boy finally hit rock bottom without hearing from home, don't tell me his dad didn't love him. Down in verse uh, 20, that boy's daddy was watching for him and ran, had compassion, kissed him, fell on his neck weeping. That daddy's heart was broken. The daddy didn't need to repent the son did. The son was the one that arrogantly said, give me and headed for the far country, wasted all that money and then was down on his knees about to, amen, eat out of the hog trough until he came to himself and repentance did a work in him. Now, what is repentance? It's very simply a change of mind and heart. That boy's mind was changed. He finally began to think differently. He began to think again. Repentance first, first touches the mind and heart. And he said this, he began to say, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. And he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll rise, go to my father. We'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So right here, that's what that boy's thinking in his heart when he's down in front of the hog trough. But the proof of his repentance is the fact in verse 20 that he arose and came to his father. You know, a lot of people say they repent. But we never see any difference in their life. So you know what that leads me to conclude? They said they repented, but they didn't. You say, how do you know when somebody repents? Because we'll see the fruit of the repentance because their actions will change. I tell people all the time, if we have to guess whether or not you've repented, that means you haven't. Nobody at the house uh, where the prodigal lived had to wonder if the prodigal son had a change of mind or a change of heart. Did he really repent? He sure did. Why? Because he got up and he went home. Rock bottom is where God works best. And I know it breaks your hearts, parents, those of you with a prodigal. And maybe someday my heart will break with the sorrows of wondering, how's my boy doing tonight? I wonder if he's okay. God help us. That's an awful thought. But listen, I want to give room for God, the Holy Ghost, to work. And the last thing you need to do is continue to help people who don't need help. Your help only allows them to live another day longer in the far country. There were no <clears throat> rings. There, were, there was no robe. There was no fatted calf for the prodigal as long as he chose to stay in the far country. The only thing keeping him from home was his own stubborn pride. But brother, when he came to himself, how did he come to himself? Because he hit rock bottom. And when repentance does her perfect work and he changed his mind, he arose and went home to a father who was watching for him from the porch. And the Bible says, while he was yet a great way off, his father 
saw him and had compassion and ran. Don't tell me God won't put your life back together. Don't tell me you can't make restitution with people in, that you've hurt in your past. I'm telling you what we need is to preach repentance and we need to watch repentance change the hearts of some of these people that have rebelled against God. Quit feeling sorry for them. Quit thinking they're victims. They're playing you and manipulating you and me. And they need to be faced with their own choices and realize that I am in the situation I'm in because I've done this to myself, but I don't have to live this way. And can I close by simply saying Jesus Christ says to those, if you're a prodigal and been listening to this program, here's what Jesus says to you. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I tell you what, it's a lot better at the father's house. And Jesus Christ will receive you back and he will help you to live a life above this mess that you've created. But you've got to get honest and you've got to come to yourself, change your mind and head for home. May God help you as we've studied the word of God today. May the Lord bless you as you seek his face.